Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Getting on Board with Real-World Evidence about CDK4-6 Inhibitors for HR-Positive, HER2-Negative, MBC, Stay on Track with Shared Decision-Making, is provided by Access Medical Education and is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. Richard Finn. Hello, I'm Dr. Richard Finn from the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles. I'd like to welcome you to our oncology clinic on CDK4-6 inhibitors in hormone receptor positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. There is strong clinical evidence supporting the use of CDK4-6 inhibitors combined with endocrine therapy for hormone receptor positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. Real-world evidence shows that CDK4-6 inhibitors are safe and effective treatments for patients with hormone receptor positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. Real-world evidence can supplement clinical trial evidence and be more applicable to relevant community-based populations and real-world clinical practice settings. Optimal care of metastatic breast cancer involves the use of effective therapies that are supported by the latest evidence and guidelines selected through a shared decision-making process and individualized to each patient's needs. Today, I'll be illustrating my approach to shared decision-making and the utilization of real-world evidence that complements clinical trial evidence through clinical vignettes with a patient who has stage four breast cancer. Let's get started. Paulette is a 70-year-old female diagnosed with left breast cancer. At age 65, she was found to have a two and a half centimeter ductal carcinoma. Her tumor was ER positive, PR positive, and HER2 negative. She had a bilateral mastectomy with sentinel lymph node dissection and breast reconstruction with a negative lymph nodes. Her past medical history includes diabetes mellitus, type 2 hypertension, coronary artery disease, and non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. She has no family history of breast cancer and otherwise healthy. She was treated with adjuvant letrozole for five years. Four years after completing adjuvant aromatase inhibitor therapy, she developed bone pain and was found to have recurrent ER-positive, PR-positive, HER2-negative breast cancer with lytic lesions. Her ECOG performance status is 2. Today, she is in my office to discuss her treatment options. Hi, Paulette. How are you today? I'm doing well, but I knew something was off with that pain I am experiencing. I am feeling anxious about the cancer returning, but I'm hoping that we can find another successful treatment. I'm glad you're doing okay. We do have a few treatment options we can discuss today. First, tell me about your preferences and goals for treatment. What is important to you to consider for your next treatment? I prefer oral medication, like the letriazole that I am taking. Is that still an option, or do I need chemotherapy? We do have very effective treatment options I'd like to discuss with you today, called CDK4-6 inhibitors, which are oral medications that are given with endocrine treatment. There are three CDK4-6 inhibitors that are FDA-approved, abemacyclob, palbocyclob, and ribocyclob. The use of these CDK4-6 inhibitors is supported by clinical evidence and complemented by real-world data, which I'd like to review today to help in your decision-making about treatment. Yes, I would like to hear more about this treatment. Great. I want to start by telling you about the value of real-world evidence and how it differs from clinical evidence. Real-world evidence comes from data that is collected typically after a drug receives FDA approval. For FDA approval, drugs need to go through very rigorous clinical trials that have very specific endpoints and inclusion and exclusion criteria. By and large, not every patient we see in clinic will qualify for a clinical trial. Real-world evidence is looking at a broader patient population 
and it's called real world because it includes the patients we see every day in clinic. While clinical trial data is used for FDA approvals, real world evidence can be used to complement those data. So our goal today will be to talk about an overview of the benefits and limitations of real world evidence, specifically the value of real world evidence picks up where randomized control trials lead off, meaning that randomized control trials are very strictly controlled in regards to their inclusion and exclusion criteria. And in that sense, real world data complements the data set for patients who are not necessarily included in those randomized controlled studies. Real world evidence by its name suggests that this is a data set derived from patients we see in the clinic that may not otherwise qualify for a clinical trial. Still, obviously the gold standard for FDA approvals and regulatory approvals and guidelines are randomized controlled trials. However, there is a large amount of real-world evidence that's been collected now with CDK4-6 inhibitors, and we'll discuss how this data looks and why it may be important in selecting treatments for our patients. So this slide highlights some of the differences between a randomized controlled trial and real-world data sets. Again, real-world data is meant to complement a randomized controlled trial. It is not of the level of evidence to replace an RCT. An RCT really has very robust endpoints and design to answer a specific question. In the context of CDK4-6 inhibitors, the phase three studies were designed to show that in combination with endocrine treatments in a specific patient population, both frontline and second line, that the addition of CDK inhibitors would improve progression-free survival. Real-world evidence really is a much broader population. It can, because it's more broad, pick up subgroups of patients that are less commonly enrolled in clinical trials but have relevance to real-world data. So, by doing a blinded, randomized, controlled study, we're looking at efficacy and safety, but it's designed to show that your intervention is responsible for the outcome. These are very highly monitored. There's a lot of oversight from both sponsor as well as regulatory bodies. In contrast, real-world data is really making an observation about effectiveness and safety. However, you cannot really say, because of the lack of control and other limits in monitoring, that any specific intervention is responsible for these outcomes. These data sets are not controlled by when imaging is done, how physicians manage patients, how they might do dose reductions, which are otherwise very tightly controlled and randomized studies. However, by having a large number of patients, this can capture how these drugs are used in practice across a diverse population. Also, because there is no strict protocol and physicians know what patients are getting, certainly there can be bias introduced. However, the regulatory bodies are looking at real-world data in a much more progressive way, I would say. We actually have precedent now that the FDA has used real-world data to base FDA approvals. An example of that was the expanded use of palbociclib and endocrine treatment in men with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer. These patients were not included in the phase three studies done with palbociclib. However, using real world data, the FDA was convinced that they could extend the label to cover this group of patients. And there's been several commentaries now from the regulatory bodies recognizing the importance of real-world data and how it can be used to guide further research in the future. 
Let's return to our discussion with Paulette to go over the clinical trial data and the real-world evidence we've seen with CDK4-6 inhibitors. Do you have questions for me before we take a look at some of the data? That is very interesting. It is nice to know that real-world data exists. It makes me feel slightly less alone and more optimistic about treatment. Great. Let's go ahead and review the data for CDK4-6 inhibitors to help with our decision-making. As I mentioned, there are three CDK4-6 inhibitors that have been approved by the FDA for the treatment of your type of breast cancer, abemocyclob, ribocyclob, and palbocyclob. All of them are approved for patients like you who have had prior endocrine treatment and then their cancer came back. The studies all combined endocrine treatments, like letrozole, which you are on, in combination with the CDK4-6 inhibitors, and all of these studies were designed to show that they delay progression of the cancer. All of them demonstrated very similar results, a very significant benefit for patients receiving these treatments in delaying their treatment as compared to standard treatment, which was endocrine treatment or letrozole alone. Two of the drugs, palbocyclob and ribocyclob, are taken three weeks in a row and one week off, whereas abemocyclob is dosed continuously and letrozole is taken every day or whatever endocrine treatment we decide on. When we look at real-world evidence, that is, like we said before, the data with these drugs in real-world populations, not in clinical trials, all of these drugs seem to be performing very similar to what we saw in the clinical data. So I think by now we have a lot of experience with these drugs, and we're confident that they can help patients with your type of breast cancer and generally are very well tolerated. We even have data now that tells us that these drugs are actually not only slowing the progression of the breast cancer, but helping women live longer and maintain a very high quality of life. So this slide highlights the phase three randomized studies done in ER pods of HER2 negative breast cancer in both the front line and second line. Remarkably, in these studies, when we look at the primary endpoint, the magnitude of benefit was very similar. The hazard ratios were all very comparable in the 0.5 range, and that includes those in the postmenopausal as well as in the premenopausal subsets. With that in mind, we now have overall survival data from these studies, and it's very exciting to see that when we look at the data with abemocyclib and ribocyclib, all met their a secondary endpoint of improving OS. They had a significant numerical improvement in OS as well as this being statistically significant. From the Paloma 2 study, we did see a numerical improvement in OS, but this did not reach statistical significance. But this is a very exciting data set because we see now that these drugs are not just improving PFS, but also improving overall survival. So while they all had similar designs, there were some differences in baseline characteristics and inclusion criteria. All met their primary endpoints with similar magnitude. But also we should notice that while they had overlapping side effects, there were some distinct differences between them. And as I mentioned, ribocyclib and abemocyclib showed improvement in OS that was statistically significant in combination with fulvestrin. Now, turning to real-world data, You'll remember that palbocyclob was the first CDK4-6 approved. In the United States, it got accelerated approval in 2015. And therefore, we have a large data set from real-world evidence from community sites as well as academic sites to look at with palbocyclob. There's also real-world data evolving now with the other two CDK4-6 inhibitors as well. 
So when we look at one of the largest data sets, which is with palbociclib, which is the P-Reality-X study, we have over 2,800 patients in this data set to evaluate the effectiveness of first-line palbociclib and NAI versus NAI alone. Now, this is retrospective from a large electronic health record, specifically the U.S. Flatiron Health database. And when I say over 2,800 patients, this provides for 1,300 patients with palbociclib and AI versus those that got AI alone, about 1,500 patients. So, you know, some of the strength to this data set is that it is a very large database from electronic health records and reflects over 280 community centers as well as a small number of academic centers from all over the United States, which really represents a diverse population. In addition, all of these sites used a common electronic health records, which helps for consistent data extraction. Now, because this is retrospective and there was no specific inclusion and exclusion criteria like in a phase three study, there are various ways to match the populations in the treatment arm with the control arm. And what you see on this slide is the overall survival data in just an unadjusted analysis and two statistical methods that allow for matching of baseline characteristics so the populations look a little more similar in regards to relevant clinical factors. You can see that across all of these three data sets, there is a consistent improvement in overall survival with palbociclib in this real-world data set. Similarly, when we look at progression-free survival, there is a consistent benefit. Perhaps the magnitude of benefit for PFS is not as great as we saw in the randomized phase three study, but certainly the trend is very consistent and we see that regardless of the statistical method used. Here, we're looking at a population of patients which often is not expressed in high numbers in phase three studies. And is somewhat similar to the patient we're discussing today. And here, looking at patients who are over 65, we had just under 800 patients included in the flat iron database for our analysis, and the median age was 74. And again, when we look at PFS or OS using various statistical analyses, this population clearly gets a benefit from the addition of palbociclib to endocrine treatment. Having been involved in the development of these drugs for some time, you know, initially there were some very strong biases about who would benefit and who should get treated with CDK4-6 inhibitors. I think when we look at the phase three data and now real world data, it is clear that even older patients can get a significant benefit from the use of these doublets. And really we need to ask ourselves, why shouldn't we offer a patient one of these doublets? And presumably that would be driven by some comorbidity or other complication that would convince us that we shouldn't use a doublet in this patient population. There are also real-world data now coming from the other CDK4-6 inhibitors, which I mentioned, and these are very consistent with what we've seen with the palbociclib real-world data. That is to say that in the real-world setting, these drugs are recapitulating what we've seen in phase three studies. Now let's resume the discussion with our patient. The treatment seems very effective. But what about side effects? And how do we choose between the three therapies? Yes, we've talked about the benefits. Now let's review some of the risks. All of these drugs have some similar side effect profiles, but they also have some differences. 
Very common with them is that we need to watch blood counts because they could lower your white blood cell count, which could put you at risk for infection. But generally, that can be managed with dose delays or dose reductions. We do see some GI side effects, more so with abemacyclib than the others. And what I mean by that is some spectrum of loose stool or diarrhea. Again, generally that can be managed with dose reductions or medicines like Imodium that can help control those symptoms. And ribocyclib can affect and interact with some other medications. So sometimes we need to check an EKG at the beginning to make sure that we're not having an effect on how your heart conducts. The real-world evidence has shown us that the frequency of adverse events was lower than what we saw in the clinical trials. If you experience any side effects, we can lower the dose of your medication or take a brief treatment break. Let's now review some of the adverse event information. When we look at the phase three data, we can see that there are a lot of similarities between the drugs. A class effect of CDK4-6 inhibitors is neutropenia. However, clearly this is higher grade and more frequent with both palbocyclib and ribocyclib. With that being said, ferroneutropenia is quite rare across the phase three studies. One differentiator of abemacyclib versus the other two CDK4-6 inhibitors is a higher frequency and higher grade of diarrhea. Ribocyclib uniquely requires EKG monitoring because it can affect the QT interval, and this would be something that we want to keep in mind, especially for patients who might be on multiple drugs that could interact and affect the QT. And also unique to abemacyclib is this increased risk of thromboembolic events. All of the drugs needed dose reductions or dose breaks higher than we saw in the placebo. However, the frequency was somewhat higher with abemacyclib. When we look at the real-world data with these drugs, overall, I would say the trend is very similar to what we saw in the phase three data. However, it seems like the frequency of neutropenia, for example, was a little less than that was described in the phase three studies. Other toxicities were fairly similar between the data collected in real-world data and phase three data, specifically in severity of the AEs and the type of AEs that are described. When we look at things like neutropenia, diarrhea, fatigue, nausea, anemia. These are the most common side effects that we see in the phase three data. These are also recapitulated in the real world data sets. You know, in this review, the numbers are somewhat small, which makes it a little hard to make conclusions. However, I think at the end of the day, the trends are always similar. We'll return to Paulette to see if she is ready to make a treatment decision. Paulette, how are you feeling about the information we've gone over today on CDK4-6 inhibitors? This was a lot of information, but it was very helpful. Thank you for discussing the real world and the clinical evidence with me and reviewing the side effects. That is my main concern about starting a new medication. I want my life to be as normal as possible. Okay, are you ready to make a treatment decision? I'm happy to answer any further questions you may have as you make your decision. Yes, I would like to start treatment with pablocyclic. We'll monitor your labs for low white blood cell counts before and during treatment. But do call my office if you experience any fever or chills. So in conclusion, all three CDK4-6 inhibitors have demonstrated an important role for patients with ER-positive HER2-negative breast cancer. This comes from meeting their primary endpoints of improving PFS. 
All of them have distinct side effect profiles. However, we can use real-world evidence to help build on this phase three data to give us better insight into a broader patient population and certainly larger numbers of patients. And in the context of these drugs, we see that real-world evidence really does recapitulate the primary endpoints in these phase three studies and also supports the use of these agents building on the efficacy and safety in broad patient populations. It's important to keep in mind these data as we have discussions with patients and help support our decisions in selecting a specific recommendation for our patients. A shared decision-making guide like this one can help us form a conversation with our patients to highlight real-world evidence supporting CDK4-6 inhibitor-based treatment options and integrate shared decision-making strategies to co-create treatment plans that are reflective of patient goals, values, and perspectives. Thank you for joining me for our Oncology Clinic vignettes on shared decision-making and real-world evidence in the management of hormone receptor positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer with CDK4-6 inhibitors. I hope you found the program useful. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Access Medical Education and is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.